Where on earth did the camel originate? <laughs> and what put the air in the Airbnb? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this half hour of the off ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. We do this show every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, and we love to find new facts. And I've got one, Marcia. Where on earth did the camel originate? Well, that sounds pretty weird to me. Uh, I thought it was in a desert, like maybe over in the Middle East or whatever, but no, apparently not. Like, Okay, Pittsburgh. Well, <laughs> it is here in North America, believe it or not. No. Yes. The camel originated in North America. Before it went extinct here, groups of camels had migrated to Asia and South America. Now, the Asian group includes the single-humped Arabian camel and the two-humped camel of Central Asia. And then what famous South American animal is a descendant of the North American camels? The llama. That is a descendant of the original camels. Other South American camel family members are the wild guanaco, the bicuna, and the domesticated alpaca. So you're telling me that before anywhere in the world, the camel was here in North America? Yeah, that's right. Before anywhere? That's from Isaac Asimov's Book of Facts, and I always go by Isaac. (laughs) Okay. He did great research for his books, but there are other sources too. Paleosleuths.org says that 46 million years ago, camels originated and only lived in North America. Six million years ago, they crossed the Bering Bridge to Asia. And three million years ago, camels crossed the Isthmus of Panama to South America. Now, there is evidence, DNA extracted from bones collected in the Yukon to show that North America's last camel, Camelops, which went extinct 13,000 years ago, lived long enough to be hunted by people. There is direct evidence of hunting and butchering of Camelops by humans. And that comes from the Earth Archives. So there you go. Okay, Bob, I think you have a fair chance of actually answering this, as many of our listeners do. What is the air in Airbnb? Airbnb. Wasn't it an air mattress? Yes, it was. It had to do with an air mattress. The two fellas, I think, are two guys who came up with the name? That's correct. It's 2007. Brian Chesky and Joe Gebbia realized that hotel rooms would be hard to come by in San Francisco for the upcoming tech conferences. So they let visitors sleep on air mattresses in their living room for a fee. (laughs) And they called this humble venture Air Bed and Breakfast, now known as Airbnb. And it's worth almost $600 billion today. Oh, no. You're kidding. No. $600 billion? Yeah, we missed the boat on that one, baby. God. And it has 6 million listings worldwide. Wow. I always thought Airbnb, before I learned this, uh-huh. was because of, well, you're going to fly somewhere, you need to have a B&B, and here's a place to go, yeah. you know? So yeah. air meaning aircraft, yeah. but no, as air mattresses, so yeah. funny. Hey, I want to update something. Uh, remember a couple uh, shows ago, we did a thing about of the 24 actors who've won an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony, Yeah. and we said that Viola Davis had a unique distinction. 
What was it? Do you remember that? Um, well, she won. Uh, she was the only African American to oh, have the all three Tony, of those. The Tony, the Emmy, and the Oscar. Well, another actress just recently joined that group, Jennifer Hudson. Oh, she did. She just earned a Tony, and she has a Grammy too. Oh, wow! She's got the Emmy, the Oscar, the Tony, and a. Grammy. Now, what show did Jennifer Hudson rise to fame in? Was it? Dream Girls. Dream Girls, Smash, <laughs> American Idol, Sex in the City, or America's Got Talent? She rose to fame in the movie Dream Girls, but she was in America's Got Talent, or what's, what's that other American one? American Idol. Yeah. That's what it was. American Idol. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure we updated that, uh, that question. Now, there are two African Americans who have okay. won all three of those acting awards. All right, Bob. What are these characters from? Mr. Ute, Hip Hopper, Titty Hoochoo, Tali Diggle, Woot the Wanderer. Any any thoughts? I think it's from the latest hip hop musical on Broadway. No, I don't. I have no idea. What is that? How about that? Grunter Swine? Grunter Swine. Yes. I think I went to school with him. Yeah, along with Tali Diggle. Yeah, they sat in the back row. <laughs> Grunter Swine was always making noise. I can imagine. (laughs) Well, you'll appreciate this. They're all from a series from the original Wizard of Oz books. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. The original Frank Baum books. That's right. L. Frank Baum and his Wizard of Oz. It was a series of books. Like Uh, I said, one of our earlier shows. It was like Harry Potter series. Yes, it was. And I did not know that until you enlightened me. But I didn't know about Grunter Swine. Yes. Why didn't he make the Wizard of Oz movie? I don't know. Mr. Ute. (laughs) And there's somebody like called Tater Tot. But I heard it mentioned on the radio, but I couldn't find that character. It was very funny. (laughs) Made me laugh out loud. But Uh, I do like Tolly Diggle. Tolly Diggle? Yeah. How do you spell that? Tolly, T-O-L-L-Y, and Diggle, D-I-G-G-L-E. Diggle. Be a good name for our granddaughter someday. Tolly Diggle, let's talk to the kids about that. <laughs> okay. See what they think. All right, Marcia, speaking of words, where does the word pistol come from? Pistol. Pistol. Where does it come from? A city in a certain country. Oh, okay. No, I don't know. Pistoia, Italy, ah. where handguns were made as early as the late 15th century. They were so. supposedly invented there by a man named Camillo Vitelli, an Italian nobleman who had a corps of mounted marksmen, the first to use guns while on horseback. So they think that pistols owe their name to them. Did you know they revolutionized politics? Pistols revolutionized politics? Because of duels? No. Why? Assassinations. Oh, jeez. Because they could be easily hidden, pistols became the perfect weapon for thieves, highwaymen, and assassins, and the latter prompted Emperor Maximilian of the Holy Roman Empire to outlaw the manufacture of pistols in 1517. That was the first gun control. And see how well that worked? (laughs) It didn't work at all. So 1517, the first gun control. What police department made the word pistol an acronym. And what does it stand for? God, I don't know. I don't know. Something like Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh officers? Has uh, nothing to do with the name of the town. Oh, the, I don't know. Tell me. The St. Petersburg, Florida Police Department's information system. <laughs> Paperless information system, totally online. Pistol. <laughs> okay, Bob. We both wondered what the heck Begin the Begin meant. Yes, that song, da-da-da-da-da, Begin the Begin. It's an old Cole Porter song from the 30s or 40s, and even Julio Iglesias sang it much later. Well, in Artie Shaw, that was his theme song, the big band leader. In fact, he said, I got so sick of that song. Yeah, so what is Begin? Is it the name of a, a river, the Begin? It's a type of dance. Oh, really? Yeah. 
When they begin the begin, the singer recounts how when he hears the music for that dance, it brings back memories. But it was a dance. I didn't know that. Yeah. When they begin the begin. Yeah. <laughs> and it reminds him of when he met his girlfriend. All right. And what was her name? Begonia? No. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great all-time dancing teams danced to that song. It was Fred Astaire and Eleanor Powell in an old movie. Oh, really? Yeah. All right, Marcia. Hawaii, Alaska, Maine, and Vermont are the only four states to have banned what? I'll give you four choices here. Okay. Telemarketing, door-to-door solicitations, billboards, or printed phone books. <laughs> I'll say number two. Door-to-door solicitations? Yes. No. They have banned billboards, otherwise really? known as outdoor signs. Yeah. No kidding. They're everywhere across most of the United States, but they're noticeably absent in Alaska, Hawaii, Maine, and Vermont. I got this from TravelTrivia.com. I'll be darned. Now, which was the first state to outlaw billboards? Any idea of those four? Hawaii? That's right. And they did it in the 1920s. Ah, smart. Vermont followed in 1968, Maine in 78, Alaska 1998. Now, is it any wonder that all four of those states are known for their robust tourism? Could it be because advertising mars the natural beauty of landscapes? That indeed is the reason they all decided not to do it. But did they bar those uh, Burma shave signs? (laughs) Apparently. How many billboards do you think there are across the United States? Oh, God. Any I, idea of how many? I worked this, for... This number is amazing. I made. worked for an outdoor advertising agency once, Bob. Um, so I'll just take a guess and say 623,000. Well, no, not that many, Marsh. Okay, 12,000. No, no, more One, than that, Marsh. No, a lot more than that, Marsh. <laughs> Let me just take control here, okay? You just sit back right. and be quiet. <laughs> More than 360,000 billboards. Wow. 360,000. So what states have the most? This is my last billboard question. Okay, thank you. I will say, in the South? Two of them are. All right, um, I'll say Florida. Florida's number one. They have 11,109 billboards. And 90% of them are lawyers. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the other one, uh, Texas. No, Georgia is the second one in the South with 9,871. That's followed by California, third with 8,700. And believe it or not, the fourth state is Little New Jersey, (laughs) has 8,500 billboards. Oh, really? All crammed into that little area. Almost the same amount as California has in that huge state in New Jersey. I'll be darned. That's amazing. Well, you may or may not find this interesting, but I think you will. Well, maybe I won't. Okay, maybe you won't. So I'm going (laughs) to skip and go to the next question. (laughs) What are the origins of the indomitable game of Candyland? Oh, oh, the wicked Candyland. You were so mean to the kids in playing Candyland. I wasn't Candyland. mean. I you just... didn't let them win. Well, that teaches them nothing. Let them win once in a while, Marsha. <laughs> They're 38 years old now. Uh, let me see. Candyland. What are the origins of Candyland? Was that because somebody was a shut-in and they had to have something to but, keep yeah, them occupied? Yeah, that's not far off. In the late 1940s, Polio was still a looming threat to the population. Mm -hmm. And while convalescing in the polio wing of San Diego Hospital in 1948, a retired school teacher named Eleanor Abbott decided to create a board game that would keep the children, uh, her fellow patients, occupied and happy and distracted. And she came up with a game she called Candyland, fanciful and easy to understand. 
And the game was so popular in the polio ward that she decided to submit it to Milton Bradley. The game manufacturer. That's right. And she uh, drew it out on butcher paper. Oh, really? To show them. And they said, well, okay. And they decided to publish it in 1949. And Candyland helped put Milton Bradley on the map. I had no idea it had been around that long. Yeah. Wow. They hadn't had any big success until she came with her butcher paper and her sketch. So Candyland is over 70 years old? Yeah, 1948. But Candyland... Was the one that put him on the map. Really? Yeah, took him to the top. Oh, that's hard to believe. It is. Okay, Marcia, have you ever heard of the Turd Reich? The Turd? <laughs> I've got Bob, a story this is for a you. Family Listen, show. It is a family show, but everybody <laughs> has a toilet, and everybody has a toilet malfunction fine, once fine. in a while, Marcia. All right. All right. No, I haven't heard of that. Enlighten me. Well, I've got this interesting story. It's about a toilet malfunction that sank a German U boat in World War II. <laughs> I, I came upon this the other day, and mental floss, it's so funny. And here's what happened. It happened in 1945 when a brand new submarine, the U-1206, arrived off the coast of Scotland. This was so far advanced with all kinds of new technology, including new plumbing, that the crew didn't really know how to operate. So it required training to use properly, and not everybody felt a need to take the toilet training. (laughs) (laughs) Enter German Captain Carl Adolf Schlitt. Schlitt went to the toilet that day to do number two. After he finished his business, he couldn't figure out how to flush the new toilet. So a sheepish Captain Schlitt called in an engineer. That's when something went wrong. Apparently, someone turned the wrong valve, and immediately the bathroom began filling up with both salt water and feces. Oh, geez. Oh, Lord. Until it was literally full of Schlitt. (laughs) <laughs> Captain Schlitt, I'm talking about Captain here. Captain Schlitt. The submarine's designers located the toilet just above the submarine's battery compartment, and when the mixture overflowed, chlorine gas resulted. Oh, my so word. So they had all kinds of problems. They had to surface the submarine immediately because there were fumes racing through. I'm talking about chlorine gas now. Before he had to go up, he had to fire torpedoes to increase the buoyancy of the ship. So guess what? The Allies heard these torpedoes going off, so when the sub surfaced, they opened fire on them, and then Captain Schlitt abandoned the U-boat, which (laughs) sank. Fifty men were taken prisoners, ten men evaded capture, four men were killed or drowned, all because of a malfunctioning toilet on Captain Schlitt's German submarine. And the Schlitt hit the fan. (laughs) I'll bet. There's so many takeoffs on that. The Turd Reich. I thought that was funny. Well, okay, it's time for a break, you think? I think it's time for a break, a potty break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Okay, we're done with our break and we're back. <laughs> this is The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Do you have a question, Marsha? Yes. All right. Okay. What is called the Silver River in China and Vietnam, the backbone of the night in the Kalahari Desert in South Africa, and it's called Winter Way in the Faroe Islands and some Nordic countries. What is this? Is this something up in the sky? Yes. Is it the Milky Way? It is. Okay. It's the band of stars and dust we call the Milky Way. And it was so named by the ancient Greeks. And so there are several you know, countries in the world that have different names for it. What were the other names for it? Silver River, mm-hmm. Backbone of the Night, and Winter Way. The Silver River is what got me. I kept thinking Silver River and uh-huh. so visual, the description. I thought, that's got to be the Milky Way. Uh-huh. And you're right. Okay. Okay. All right, Marsha. I have a couple of city names, and I want you to tell me what they are. 
I'll tell you what the meaning of the city names are. Okay. This is in Africa. New flower is what the city's name means. Am I talking about Cairo, Egypt, Jamena, Chad, Porto Novo, Benin, or Addis Ababa in Ethiopia? Oh, God. New flower. <laughs> the last one. Addis Ababa. Yeah. Yes, that's your favorite city name. You want to go there someday, don't you? <laughs> that was founded in 1887 by Emperor Menelik II. His wife, Tetu, persuaded him to replace the old capital, and the newly created Addis Ababa was given the name New Flower by the princess. Oh, but that's what it means, Addis Ababa. Now you know Adi, when you use that name, Addis Ababa. what you're talking I about. I like it. Sorry, Baba. Baba, Baba. What plant, Bob? can grow up to three feet in a day. Bamboo. Very good. Isn't it? Yep. It's considered one of, if not the, fastest growing plant in the world. It grows in dense forests where little sun reaches the ground. And according to the BBC Science magazine, which I read every night, it has a strong evolutionary pressure to reach for the sunlight as quickly as possible. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? So we've seen sequoias, and they're going for the sun, too. It's just reaching out there. So. Yeah, and it's very strong. They use it for scaffolding for buildings for construction. I, in, I saw it in Hong Kong. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Just straight up. Just amazing. Three feet a day. That's more than I ever grew. Yeah. All right. London, England was long considered the world's largest city, Marcia, for centuries. It had that distinction. But where was there another city five times as large as London in 1519? Really? Around Rome? No, it was unknown. This was unknown unknown to the European world. Oh, 1519. Oh. Oh, okay. What city was five times bigger than London at the time? It's not. It's in the Americas. I'm thinking. I'm thinking in the America. Mexico City? Mexico City. Right. And when it was invaded by Cortez in 1519, it was a flower-covered, whitewashed city five times as large as London, built and occupied by Native Americans. Can you imagine what a mind-blower that must have been for the Spanish to see that? There's a city bigger than anything they've ever seen in Europe. Wow. Just amazing. This is kind of curious. Bob, can you name some of the most profitable items sold in a grocery store? What do you think is? Oh, the things with the highest uh, the, margins. Yeah. Well, it's not milk. That's a lost leader. I know that. Of, often it is, yeah. yes. Are these packaged goods or are these well, uh, produce or what? Well, that's just it. What are they? Let's say meat. Meat? No. You won't be surprised at the number one most profitable non-grocery items like light bulbs and motor oil. Bulb you oil. always say those are more expensive yeah, in the I grocery say, store. Don't buy them here, Bob. Don't, Don't buy, buy them, them here. here. I always buy them there. And number two, prepared foods like your deli foods you buy and so forth, okay. salads and okay. fruit prepackaged things. Those are number two, way up there with most profitable. Three, brand name cereals. Mm. That's mm. the most profitable. And number four is Brand name over-the-counter meds, you know, if you go and buy. Oh, that makes sense. The last one makes sense, especially. Yeah. (laughs) You know that when you reach for that uh, kaopectate or whatever, it's going to cost more than it'll cost in the the drugstore. Yeah. So what are the five things we should avoid buying in a grocery store (laughs) because they cost more there? Non-grocery items, light bulbs, etc. Prepared foods like deli, brand name cereals, brand name over-the-counter meds, cosmetics, and beauty supplies. Mm-hmm. See, I get those potions and lotions via the mail, so they're better priced. History question, Marcia. When Christopher Columbus was sailing off to the New World, some of his fellow Italians were in another country working on a building project. 
Where and what was it? Could you repeat that? When Christopher Columbus was sailing off to the New World, some of his fellow Italians were in another country working on a big building project. <laughs> what would that be? What were they building? Oh, gosh. Somewhere in Europe. A pizza parlor. I don't know. They were building the Kremlin in Moscow. Are you kidding? That's how old that, that complex really? is. Yeah, Italian wow. engineers. Italian engineers, they were actually rebuilding the Kremlin in Moscow. It goes back earlier than that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, a London department store, Harrods, remember oh, we went there. I loved Harrods. They installed the very first escalator on its premises at the turn of the 20th century. What precautions did they take for passengers? What did they worry about for certain passengers? I don't know. An escalator now. People had never been on moving staircases before. Afraid they'd walk off into the water? They were worried that they would faint. Oh. So they served brandy to them. <laughs> <laughs> this works for me. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Wow, they'd serve them brandy. Yes, when well, they first put in this escalator, because this new technology is going to whisk you up the stairs or whisk you down the stairs, that you might feel faint. Here, have a little brandy. Oh, that's hilarious. It's a good excuse for yeah. a little alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> we still get live piano music at, what, Von Mars, don't we? And I have another question here. This is an architectural question, okay? Mm -hmm. How large are the foundations? How deep are the foundations of many European cathedrals? Well... How many I, feet I did down? read Pillars of the Earth, mm -hmm. a fantastic book, and I should know this. And the answer is pretty darn deep. <laughs> well, the answer is 40 or 50 feet. Yeah. In some instances, they form a mass of stone as great as that of the visible buildings above ground. No kidding. Yeah. All right, Bob. What part of the hemlock plant is poisonous? Uh, the, the flowers, isn't it? Yes. Just the flowers of the hemlock. No. No? No, it's all of it. Ugh. Flowers, leaves, roots, stems, and seeds will all make you drop dead. <laughs> just just a little heads up there. Okay. You know what? That's so funny. I don't know why they use this prefix, but when we were growing up, oh, for, the uh, telephones. Folks, yes, Hemlock 263. Ours was Hemlock 77429. I didn't realize we were saying poison yeah. 77429. There was one in Milwaukee, too, so I guess all the cities had them. Uh, who were the famous people who killed themselves with Hemlock? Oh. Uh, well, wasn't uh, well? There was famous uh, philosopher. Famous, it was Socrates. Oh yeah, Socrates yeah. killed yeah. himself that way. Yep, one and done. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Okay, Bob. I'm still on grocery stores. Mm -hmm. What's the most sold item in grocery stores? Well, groceries doesn't that do it? No, Bob. Corn, uh, milk, baby foods, bread. Number one, carbonated beverages. Oh, you're kidding. Beer, cereal. Frozen dinners, those are the top four, followed by salty snacks, and finally, something really edible, milk and bread. <laughs> <laughs> Carbonated beverages are the number one item, and so we're talking Pepsis, yeah. Coke, 7-Up, all that? and beer, cereal, frozen dinners. I can see beer being at the top of the list, but Jeez. Yeah. wow. Yeah, and then milk frozen and bread are dinners. at the bottom. And here. you don't get to fresh food until you get... And here is the one I found very unusual. What's the least sold item in a grocery store? It's something you named as one of the most sold, but it's the opposite. I don't know. I had to double check this on Statistica.com. It's baby food. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. One of the least sold yeah. items in a grocery store? Well, yeah. where do people buy it? Well, that's what I was wondering. At the hardware store? No, no. Like, do you go know? to Home Depot and get some I huge I don't know. tubs of baby food? 
I don't know. I'll have to ask people with babies. Oh, my goodness. All right, Marsha, I have a quick question here. Uh, let's just think of the world. Think of travel. What is the most isolated town in the continental United States? I will give you four potential thank you. places. Oh, thank you. Maine, Florida, Montana, or Kansas. Which state is the state with the most isolated town in the continental United I States? I would say Maine. No, it's not. Maine, Florida, what were the other two? Montana or Kansas. Okay, Montana. Yes, it is Montana. All right, good. Glasgow in northeastern Montana near the Canadian border. Okay. Here's the definition. The nearest metropolitan area of more than 75,000 people is more than 4.5 hours away in any direction. Oh, That's the definition yeah. of how isolated, That's isolated you are. Okay. You can't find a city of 75,000 people. With, you have to travel almost five hours. Okay, now before I give my... Closing quote, I'll finish up with this. And you might get this. I might, okay. <laughs> Name the most profitable concession stand items. I've got uh, three of them here. Well, the you're top big three. on this today, well, aren't you? You know, it was a rabbit hole I went down and I found it fascinating. Corn dogs are big concession items, okay. They, they are, but they're not the most profitable. Okay. I got the top three here. When you say concession stand, well, what are you talking about? Like if you're at a ball game or you're at the fair. Okay, hot dogs, I think, would be a big item. No. No? Most profitable. Okay. Think about it. Give me give something me a, you like. Give me a moment here. How about lemonade? No. Because that would be easy to make. Yes, it would. Okay. Uh, what is it? Popcorn. Oh, That's got to be the most profitable, don't you think? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Followed yeah. by, what is it, air on a stick with different colors? Air on a stick. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, cotton candy. Right. And nachos. Cotton candy, the least nutritious oh, item. Oh, my God. Just, it's just sugar. It's just sugar on a stick. Yeah. A cloud of sugar yeah, on a stick. That's right. So oh. popcorn, cotton candy, and nachos. All right. Sounds so, like a really great meal to and me. And none of them are good for, well, no. popcorn isn't too bad, but those <laughs> other two. But they're the big they're the big money makers. At the concession stands. Yeah. All right. All right. So I guess the, the wine doesn't make it there, apparently. Oh, gosh, no. Wow. All right. Hell no. Okay. <laughs> All right. My last question before my quote. How big is the biggest full-functioning tuba? The biggest full-functioning tuba as opposed to all those other tubas that aren't fully well, functioning? Well, you know, they make prop kind of tubas. Tiny but tubas. This tiny tubas. Okay, I'll say it's a uh, 20 feet tall. Oh, geez. And it's 165 pounds. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. What, what's the answer? Well, it's 110 pounds, and oh. it's seven feet tall. And uh, the guy, Can you imagine it, carrying something 110 pounds? Well, that's pounds? fine. But yes, you can hear Flight of the Bumblebee on this incredibly large tuba. <laughs> One of my favorite records was When Yumba Plays the Rumba on the Tuba. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> no. Oh, this was a novelty song. and It was on one of the 78s my mom had in her collection from when she was a waitress in restaurants. Really? It goes... Well, we'll have to play it sometime. Yeah, yeah. When Yumba Plays the Rumba on the Tuba. And I'm going to finish up, Bob, with a quote from Eckhart Tolle. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging the good that you already have in your life is the foundation for all abundance. Well, okay, I've got two quotes. One's funny. One's just a very nice one. This okay. is from The Return of the Jedi, Yoda. <clears throat> when 900 years old you reach, look as good, you will not. Hmm? <laughs> You won't look that good when you're 900 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And here's but, another one. Okay. <laughs> Truly wonderful. The mind of a child is uncluttered. The mind of a child is uncluttered. 
Wisdom of the Ages oh, God. here on the Off-Ramp. I think I should have stuck with Eckhart Tolle, but okay, Bob, let's wrap it up. All right, that's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.